fire burn is space between the logs, a breathing space. Too much of a good thing, too many logs, packed in too tight, can douse the flames almost as surely as a pail of water would. So building fires requires attention to the spaces in between as much as to the wood. When we are able to build open spaces in the same way we have learned to pile on the logs then we can come to see how it is fuel and absence of the fuel together that make fire possible. We only need to lay a log lightly from time to time. The fire grows simply because the space is there with openings in which the flame that knows just how it wants to burn can find its way. Judy Brown, Fire The script and film have a timing problem. Lena's watch might be wrong, but the angle of the sun is not. In the script, and as this minute and next minute happen, it is sundown, but the angle of the light is high. Also, a geographical problem. Promotional materials put this film as taking place in Florida, and though he is vague on the details, especially in the first Southern Reach novel, Vandermeer clearly intended Area X to be on the Florida coast. I have argued that logically, the film takes place in Maryland, because of the proximity to Johns Hopkins and the specific Blackwater reference. So where is this lighthouse? If Florida, specifically the region called the Forgotten Coast, which Vanderbeer name checks repeatedly in Acceptance, the third Southern Range novel, then the sea is south, which means the sun that is suddenly setting is setting in the east. If this is the eastern shore of Chesapeake Bay, as I have suggested, then the bay is west and the sun is setting in the south. To further complicate things geographically, The physical beach where they filmed parts of this, Holcomb Beach off the coast of Norwich, England, puts the sea to the east, the sun setting to the north. But maybe the shimmer is not, strictly speaking, on Earth anymore, but in its own dimension, as implied in acceptance. Then the sun we see might not be the sun at all. Note, I say implied because I have not finished reading the third Southern Reach novel just yet, so I do not know how conclusive things might get. Recall this conversation in minute 32. Shepard. Well, well, we, we know we're in the state, state park. park. We, we head south, we hit the ocean, then we just follow the shoreline until we hit the perimeter wall, right? Radic, how, how do we know it's south? Shepard, come, come on, on Josie, you, you know this. this. Hour hand at the sun. So what the difference between the hour hand and 12? South. If the sun is not the sun, then Shepard's directions had little chance of being correct. That they happened upon boats and made their way downstream is the happenstance that got them near the coast. But the shimmer is dying. The sun must set. Does not matter if it makes sense. This is what has to happen. From the script. Exterior, lighthouse, sundown. Wide on the burning lighthouse. Long flames curl from the top window into a plume of dark smoke. The sun is setting and is clustered with the psychedelic color refractions we always see through the shimmer. Except that something is clearly happening. The movements and vibrations of the shimmer are settling, and the colors are becoming less intense. Then, all along the beach, the sand structures start collapsing, first one, then three, then seven, then all together. Wind collects them as they fall, and as they fall, they reveal a figure walking across the sand towards us. Lena. Cut to. 
Exterior, Southern Reach Facility, Slash Viewing Platform, Sundown. The viewing platform of the Southern Reach Facility, where people are exiting from the mess hall. Excitedly gathering to look at the view over the scrubland to the tree line, where the shimmer is now clearly melting away and the refractions reverting to the blues, reds, and oranges of a normal, beautiful sunset. Pull back. Wide. Then cut to. Exterior, the night sky, night. A star field in a night sky. Dense constellations, the Milky Way. Drift down. Past the moon. To the Southern Reach facility. And a lone woman walking out of the tree line across the scrubland towards it. Lena. The film, fortunately, is not so obvious about things. We must assume from clues this minute and next minute that the shimmer is collapsing. We are safe to presume that the Lena that just exited the lighthouse, even if we are confused as to which Lena that might be, walks to the Southern Reach facility in order to be in the room with Lomax. Instead of finding herself in an empty lot, she, who was once called Ghostbird by her husband and will take that name again, explains, in Authority, the second Southern Reach novel, quote, I woke in the empty lot, and I thought I was dead. I thought I was in purgatory, maybe, even though I don't believe in an afterlife. But it was quiet and so empty. So I waited there, afraid to leave, afraid there might be some reason I was meant to be there. Not sure I wanted to know anything else. Then the police came for me, and then the Southern Reach after that. But I still believed I wasn't really alive. End quote. Ghostbird is not the biologist that entered Area X, by the way, but I will save what happened to the biologist for a later episode. In the novel Annihilation, the biologist describes an empty lot we must assume is the same one where she finds herself after leaving Area X. Quote, I had told my husband a late-night walk alone relaxed me, allowed me to sleep when the stress or boredom of my job became too much, but in truth I didn't walk except the distance to an empty lot overgrown with grass. The empty lot appealed to me because it wasn't truly empty. Two species of snail called it home, and three species of lizard, along with butterflies and dragonflies. From lowly origins, a muddy rut from truck tires, a puddle had over time collected rainwater to become a pond. Fish eggs had found their way to that place, and minnows and tadpoles could be seen there, and aquatic insects. Weeds had grown up around it, making the soil less likely to erode into the water. Songbirds on migration used it as a refueling station. As habitats went, the lot wasn't complex, but its proximity dulled the impulse in me to just get in a car and start driving for the nearest wild place. I liked to visit late at night because I might see a wary fox passing through or catch a sugar glider resting on a telephone pole. Nighthawks gathered nearby to feast off the insects bombarding the street lamps. Mice and owls played out ancient rituals of predator and prey. They all had a watchfulness about them that was different from animals in true wilderness. This was a jaded watchfulness the result of a long and weary history, tales of bad faith encounters in human-occupied territory, tragic past events. I didn't tell my husband my walk had a destination because I wanted to keep the lot for myself. There are so many things couples do from habit and because they are expected to, and I didn't mind those rituals. Sometimes I even enjoyed them, but I needed to be selfish about that patch of urban wilderness. It expanded in my mind while I was at work, calmed me, gave me a series of miniature dramas to look forward to. I didn't know that while I was applying this band-aid to my need to be unconfined, my husband was dreaming of Area X and much greater open spaces. But, later, the parallel helped assuage my anger at his leaving, and then any confusion when he came back in such a changed form. End quote. But we are not there yet. 
She is not there yet, and she is neither the biologist nor ghost bird. She is Lena Karens, teacher and former soldier. And Minute 103 begins not with Lena, but the humanoid, its arms and back aflame with white phosphorus, Kane's body burning for at least the second time at right edge of frame, some overgrowth beneath the lighthouse stairs also burning. The humanoid backs toward camera, looking up at the sunlight pouring too high through the hole in the wall above the stairs. Does it know that is how it got here? Does it know anything that it didn't need to know to replace and be Lena? Does it even know that much yet? Kane escaped the shimmer with little of his knowledge or personality seemingly intact. He merely had a feeling, an urge, a destination. Even then, minute ten, he returns with his motivation incomplete. Recall. Lena. Kane. How did she get home? Kane. I was outside. Lena. Outside the house? Kane. No. No, I was outside the room. The room with the bed. The door was open, and... I saw you. I recognized you. Your face. He did not know the house until he was there. He did not know Lena until he saw her. We can assume that the humanoid knows very little, but it saw Lena, it knew to be Lena, and it saw Kane's body and touched him. Did it know he was dead? Did it know that the flames on its arms would spread to Kane's head? Though by the end of this minute one might assume the humanoid is suffering from the burning, it does not act like a creature that understands that its own destruction is at hand. But maybe, as it looks up at the hole in the wall, it is piecing things together. Three years ago, or was it thirteen, or thirty, it came through that wall, or a piece of it did, or it was a piece of what came through that hole, and it is also a piece of that woman who just left, and a piece of that man on the floor, or is he a piece of it? And if the wall is burning now too, is the wall a piece of it? And the burning orb outside pouring such light into the bottom of the lighthouse, is that a piece of it too? Or is it a piece of that orb? We're made of star stuff. And if it is a piece of the sun, then burning is in its nature, and everything is as it should be. The wall is burning, Kane is burning, the humanoid is burning, the shimmer is beginning to burn because that is now its nature. It came to the lighthouse to find redemption, forgiveness, something, anything that could erase the emptiness and guilt inside it. Or was that Lena? Was that Ventress? Was that Kane? Or any other soldier or scientist who volunteered for this suicide mission? Almost, almost none of us commit suicide. suicide. And almost all of us self-destruct. If true, and the film seems to want us to assume Ventress correct in this observation, then the Shimmer also will self-destruct because it has interacted with and copied all of these humans on suicide missions, has copied Ventress dying from cancer, has copied Kane running away from his decaying marriage, has copied Lena running away from her guilt, and all this mortality is unsustainable. Second nine, we are outside, medium shot on Lena, breathing hard, the boneyard, the crystalline trees, and the sun close to the horizon behind her. Reverse, second twelve, as Lena backs away from the lighthouse, the overgrown left side burning. She takes slow steps backward. One, two, three. Cut to inside, second sixteen. The burning interior of the wall in the same part of the frame the exterior fire just was. Upper left. Kane's body still burns. The humanoid, fully aflame now, stands facing him. Then we jump, 
second 19 to angle toward the hole in the floor, the humanoid already over there by it, walking toward it, its legs buckling. It falls onto one knee, then both, and we cut. Second 22, the same from the humanoid's right. Cane burning it left, the hole to the right. The humanoid crawls, slowed by pain, toward the hole. Second 27, aerial shot outside. Lena tiny at bottom center of frame, walking away from the lighthouse. The overgrown lighthouse still burning just on its left side, but the flames go more than halfway to the top now. Second 31, inside the lower lighthouse chamber, mostly dark. Light first from the entrance to the right, then the humanoid staggers out of it, the floor burning behind each step. Second 41, angle from within the flames on the humanoid. It drops again to its knees before the platform at the center of the room and crawls. Cut, second 45, to Lena in the tall grass, walking away from the burning lighthouse. Looking back, taking a few big steps, stopping to look back again, we hear finally the sound of the fire, and we cut. Second 52, back inside. Right edge of frame, the burning entrance and wall of the chamber below ground. Center, the humanoid crawling up onto the platform. Flames erupt on the other side of the platform, where the humanoid has not yet been. The flames spread, and time runs out for this minute. We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. It was a dream. We live inside a dream. Annihilation. 